the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. It is easy for those of us who are not wealthy to look at people who are wealthy, who are unsaved, who are making a big bundle, who are not necessarily even honest in the way they make it, and they are living in homes that we drool over and driving cars that we only dream about and having all kinds of opportunities to go on vacations, which to us is something that will never be a reality. And it's easy for us to look at them and to envy and to say, I wish I had it. I wish I could be spiritual and have it. I wish I could inherit that. I wish I could be just like them. And we covet and we envy and we sometimes say, why is it that I'm poor? Let's face it, most people are money oriented. And money is important, we all need it. But how much do we need? How much of our time and money should be directed to acquisition? Today and for the next couple of days on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will have some thoughts to share about materialism. Now, Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has called Lakeside his home for over 27 years now. We at Verse by Verse Ministries are glad to be involved in making his practical messages available to listeners in this area. G.K. Chesterton once said, There are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. With that in mind, we begin our lesson. Recently, I had the opportunity to uh, give some consultation and some thought to an establishment of a Bible college. And uh, in the meetings, the men who I, I was with, we were struggling about what courses to teach, a one-year Bible college, what courses, what, what classes, what do you do in one year? And something was on my heart, and I brought it up towards the end of the time together. I said, you know, gentlemen, one of the things that we need in a Bible college, and I don't know if we can do it here, but one of the things we need is a course on finances. What is the Bible's perspective on finances? I said, in addition to that, there ought to be involved in that, at least, a course dealing with ethics, Christian ethics and finances, and, and dealing with the whole issue of, of integrity from a financial standpoint. There was not a man there who disagreed. And the reason being is that uh, these men travel around the country, and they're meeting Christians who are having real struggles with their jobs, real struggles at work, real struggles in handling their money, and they don't know what to do. For the past few weeks, we've been studying the biblical view of work, our jobs. What does the Bible have to say about this very vital issue that we spend so many hours at 
and so much time thinking about and, and we tell young people to prepare for a career. What does the Bible have to say about that? Well, there are many places in the Bible that deal with uh, finances and, and deal with ethics and deal with integrity. But one area that we need to touch on is materialism, the love of things, uh, a materialist. Is there any place that the Bible specifically, expositionally, devotes a portion of Scripture to materialism? And by materialism, I mean that when that driving force in your life is to have things and to make money and, and that that is the governing principle of your life and you live for that, there is. Will you turn your Bibles, please, to James chapter 5? James chapter 5. The book of James is a devastating book. We studied it as a church in 1981. Problem is that many of you were not here in 1981. But it is a book designed with this theme in mind. If you have got the root, then let's see the fruit. It's a catchy little phrase, but it means if you have received Christ and you really know him, let's see the evidence in your life. James is perhaps the most practical book in the New Testament in, in terms of, of our everyday lives. I believe one of the reasons that James is so practical is that James was a half-brother of our Lord. I think he, he saw those who followed his brother uh, he did not become a believer until years uh, later, uh, actually after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I think James had it up to here with hypocrisy. I think James saw all the hypocrites that hung around his, his brother. I think James heard the pious talk and saw the ungodly lives. I think James heard the religious jargon and the conversations and said, listen, they are phonies, they are fakes. 1 Corinthians 15 says that the Lord Jesus appeared to James, and the implication is James became a believer after the resurrection. And so when God wanted a book written that would attack those phony Christians and those genuine Christians who are not living like they ought to live, he prepared a man by the name of James, who a no-nonsense sort of a fellow, a fellow who, who not only tells us truth, he assaults us. He is tactless. He is abrupt. He is profound. He puts his finger on the pressure points of, of the Christian life. If you were to do a study of this book, you would find that James deals with such issues as trials and temptations, practical obedience to the Word of God, the tongue, what we speak, our speech, prejudice, how often we don't deal with that issue in the Christian circles, prejudice. One of the reasons we don't deal with it is because it's so prevalent. We don't want to walk on anybody and hurt them. But James doesn't care about that because it's the truth. He deals with not only prejudice, the other side of the coin is personal favoritism. He deals with faith and good works and their relationship. He deals with true wisdom as opposed to carnal wisdom. He deals not with Star Wars, but with church wars, conflicts among Christians. He deals with the issue, and I think this is so important, of playing God. Playing God, the man who says, I'm going to go and build my fortune. 
I'm going to go here to this city this day and to this city that day. And James says, come now. Come now, you who say we're going to spend a year here and we're going to engage in business and make a profit. And yet you don't know what your life will be even tomorrow. James deals with that. In chapter 5, he deals with a very, very critical, very sensitive area, and that is the area of money, of wealth, of being what I call a materialist. The Bible calls us to be different, and that's really what the book of James is all about. He's saying, look, if you have received Christ, if you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have been born again by the, uh, the seed of the Word of God, and you have received a new nature, and you are, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, let's see if it's making a difference in your life. Because if it's making no difference at all in your life, then you are a phony. And so he deals with these areas. We are to be different. It's my conviction that a Christian uh, is to be different in every area of life. And even in this area of, of Christian liberty, and we want to have biblical integrity, when the Bible doesn't deal with a specific, we don't want to deal with it and say that this is what the Bible says when the Bible's not said it. But let me say this. Let me caution uh, each of us, including myself. There is a tendency for people like us who, who want to have biblical integrity to sometimes go the other extreme and, and to try to get so close to the edge of what we're allowed to do that we, we flirt with our liberty. We can take advantage of it. And we can try to be so much, uh, well, we can try to see how close we can get to, to the world without being like the world. And we have to be careful. We are called to be different. Different in our music, different in our speech, different in our conversation with people, different in the way we raise our children, different in the way we treat our spouse, different in the, in the way uh, we work, different in, the, in every area of life. Different in, in the way we drive our cars, that we don't yell at people, that we don't try to cut people off in parking spots, and we don't see if we can get go 60 miles an hour when it says 55 miles an hour and try to just... We are to be different in every area. Materialism is one of those areas that the Bible calls us to be different. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Impossible. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. One will be your God. Either mammon, which is wealth and riches, or God. The rich young ruler had to learn that. In fact, I don't know if he ever learned it, but at least that was the lesson. Jesus put his finger right on that sensitive area, and he said, my friend, you have a problem. And that problem is money is your God. And that rich young ruler went away sad because he was very wealthy. And that wasn't the problem, that he was wealthy, but that he refused to allow God to be God over his wealth. That was the problem. James chapter 5, I think, is a fascinating chapter. Verses 1 through 11 is really one section broken down into two parts. Verses 1 through 6, which we'll be looking at tonight, is a denouncing, condemning passage addressed, uh, I believe, to unsaved Jewish owners of large estates in the community uh, where James' readers live. James, by the way, is, is writing to Hebrew Christians. He is not writing uh, to Gentile Christians, so it certainly applies to us, but the, its historical context is Jewish Christians. It's a very Jewish book. It is a very New Testament Jewish book. And he is denouncing unsaved Jewish, probably landowners, who are taking advantage of their servants. Verses 7 through 11, 
is addressed to Christians, and, and the emphasis here is concerning how do you handle uh, being oppressed by the Jewish landowners? How do you handle uh, an un being unfairly treated, injustice, cruelty, oppression? And we're not going to deal with, with how you handle that, uh, but we do want to focus on verses 1 through 6. Why do I say it's dealing with the unsaved? One of the few passages in the New Testament that is dealing with unsaved people. But watch this. Now listen. One reason we know they're not dealing, he's not dealing with believers is that he never mentions the term brethren. But he does in verses 7 through 11. Mentions it three times. Brethren, brethren, brethren. But never in verses 1 through 6. There's no call to repentance. There's no call to change, to have a change of mind, which is what repentance means. Calvin put it this way, he said, all that he says tends only to despair. He's not speaking to believers, speaking to unbelievers. He said, well, why is it here? What's the reason? Why would, why would God address this letter, which for the most part is dealing with believers, and then take off on a tangent and deal with unbelievers? Let me read you what one well-known Bible teacher says. He says, in thus addressing these guilty rich men outside of the church, James employs the rhetorical device known as an apostrophe or a turning away from his real audience to address some other group. He was well aware that his words would probably reach but few of these being addressed, but he does so for the benefit, now watch, of his Christian readers. Why? Because his primary concern is to dissuade hesitant Christians from falling into a foolish attitude of envy towards the powers and privileges which wealth seems to confer on those who possess it. Do you understand what he's saying? That's the heart of the passage. Let me explain. What he's saying is this. It is easy for those of us who are not wealthy, for those of us to look at people who are wealthy, who are unsaved, who are making a big bundle, who are not necessarily even honest in the way they make it, and they are living in homes that we drool over and driving cars that we only dream about and having all kinds of opportunities to go on vacations, which to us is something that will never be a reality. And it's easy for us to look at them and to envy and to say, I wish I had it. And maybe we don't say it, but we think that. I wish I could be spiritual and have it. I wish I could inherit that. I wish I could be just like them. And we covet, and we envy, and we, we sometimes say, why is it that I'm poor? And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves falling into, not the, the wealth that they have fallen into, but we'll fall into that attitude of materialism, and that attitude that says, I must be driven to make money and have things, even if I have to go into debt, even if I have to get five credit cards, I will do it. Even if I have to neglect my family, I will do it. Even if I'll never have a ministry in the church, but I have to get two and three jobs, I will do it. That's what James is dealing with. Very, very practical. He's addressing himself to the unsaved materialist who is consumed with making money because he wants his readers to be protective, protective from envying them, from, from looking at that and saying, what a wonderful life they lived. It's great. And what he's doing is he wants to show us the problems of being a materialist so that we realize that it's not all glamour. It's not wonderful. It's not the way Hollywood portrays it or, or any other magazine portrays it. 
or the movies portray it or tell it. It's not that way. That's a facade. It's, that's not reality. And before we deal with, with the text, let me caution you on two truths as we study this passage. Number one, having money and material possessions are not wrong. The Bible never uh, condemns riches. It condemns loving money. But never does it condemn riches. In fact, uh, there are many godly men who, who had a lot of money and material things. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. He owned a, a new tomb where they buried our Lord. Barnabas must have been a wealthy Jewish landowner. He, uh, he sold land and gave it to the church. Abraham, wealthy, wealthy man. Very, very wealthy. Solomon, maybe the wealthiest man of his day. Probably the wealthiest man of his day. The sin is not in possessing money. The sin is in letting money possess you. Do you understand? It's not in possessing money. That's, that's amoral. Money is neither good nor bad. It's your attitude. It's when it possesses you that it's wrong. When you seek money before you seek God's kingdom, you have become a materialist. That is the basic definition of it. For a Christian, when you seek money before you seek God's kingdom, you have become a materialist. Jesus said, seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's all. And everything that you need, not that you want, will be given to you. Colossians 3.2 let your mind, set your mind rather on things above, not on the things that are on earth. If you set your mind on the things that are on earth and not the things that are above, then you have become a materialist, regardless of whether you have a lot of money or not. See, it's not how much you have, it's your attitude that makes one a materialist. And it is very easy for us to criticize the wealthy, and I know Christians who appear spiritual by denouncing, and I might add, judging people who have money. That's wrong, because it's usually nothing more than petty jealousy and envy, coveting, which is clothed with pious talk. So let's be careful that we're not saying, and we don't uh, want to convey this, that money is wrong. It's not. And if Christians have money, God bless them. Let them use it for God's glory. Having money is not the issue, and let's not be jealous of our brethren who have it, and let's not judge them and say it's wrong to have money and so forth. But the other thing we want to caution ourselves about is that there's no virtue in being poor either, okay? And I think we need to say that. Poor is not synonymous with being spiritual. Just like being rich is not synonymous with being carnal. Poor is not synonymous with being spiritual. The Bible hasn't called all Christians, and especially missionaries, to a life of poverty. One of the great lines... In uh, the film Fiddler on the Roof is Tevye, who's the, the, really the star of the film. Tevye is about to sing a song, very popular song, called If I Were a Rich Man. And this is what he prays. This, this is a classic line. He says, Dear God, I know it's no shame to be poor, but it's no great honor either. Okay? A lot of sense. A lot of common sense. It's no honor either to be poor. It's not synonymous with being godly. The right perspective is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And, and you don't need to turn there. Timothy says that it's wrong to pursue and try to be rich. It's wrong to pursue money. It's wrong to try to gain wealth. It's not wrong to gain wealth. It's wrong to make that your goal. Even if you might come out and say, well, look, if I just make a lot of money and then I'm going to give to the Lord, it doesn't work like that. God's not so much concerned about the million that you might make. 
in a few years, he's concerned about the dollar you have and what you're doing with that. And 1 Timothy says this. It says that, that we are to have our priorities with things other than, than money. Things that are of real value. Things that are really important, of eternal value. Pursue godliness. Pursue righteousness. Pursue the things that really count. So let's get back to James. We're going to see the problems a materialist has. You think it may, it's all glamour? You think it's fun to let money be a god? Well, James quickly is going to take the glamour out of living for the almighty dollar. Okay? Four problems. The first problem a materialist has is the decay of material possessions. It decays. It doesn't last forever. Look at verse 1, chapter 5. Come now, you rich. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl, for your miseries are coming upon you. What a strong verse. Weep and howl. He's not talking about repentance here. He's talking about judgment is coming. Most of us, by international standards, are wealthy. I hope you realize that. By international standards, we're very wealthy. By American standards, we may be called middle class, but by international standards, we're wealthy. We aren't starving. Some of us could use a little starvation once in a while, especially after the holidays. Uh, we're not homeless. We have clothes on our bodies. Uh, we're, for the most part, middle class. Some a little higher, some a little lower. But there is a tendency for us to believe that those in our country who are considered wealthy have no problems. They have got it made. I don't even know where I found this quote, but I have this quote, and I'm going to read it to you. It speaks about the wealthy, some of the wealthiest men used to be in our country. Is money the key to everything? Can money bring solutions to all of life's problems? James C. Hefley relates the effect money has had upon some of the world's richest men. In 1923, a group of seven financial giants gathered together at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. Their combined wealth totaled more than the worth of the United States Treasury. For years, these men had been admired and respected as examples of success and prosperity. But 25 years later, a check was made. Charles Schwab, president of the largest independent steel company, had died penniless. Arthur Cutton, millionaire, wheat speculator, had met the same disappointing end. Richard Whitney, president of the New York Stock Exchange had served several years in prison. Albert Fall, a member of the presidential cabinet, had been pardoned from prison so he could die at home. Jesse Livermore, the greatest bear on Wall Street, had committed suicide. Leon Frazier, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, had committed suicide. Ivan Kruger, head of the world's greatest monopoly, also had taken his own life. It's not all glamour. It's not all what People magazine would make us believe. Materialists have problems. Money is certainly no guarantee of happiness, is it? Like so many other things, wealth can be used wisely or foolishly. It is not the amount of money we have, but our attitude toward its acquisition and use that is the most important. Pastor Steve Kreloff is dealing with that aspect of materialism on the next Verse by Verse. Thank you for listening. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These Bible classes of the air are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. Here is Pastor Steve to tell you how you can have a part in keeping Verse by Verse on the air. 
I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff, and it's my hope that you're encouraged in your faith and strengthened spiritually through the teaching you receive on Verse by Verse. We believe that the Word of God has answers for problems. We know that life has stresses, life has pressures. We're looking for answers. We believe that the place to look is the Word of God, and we are uh, grateful every time we hear that someone is listening to the radio, and uh, our program has been transformed by by Scripture because uh, the Word of God is not only inspired, but Paul said it is profitable, and it will transform lives. So we're grateful that uh, we could come into your home, into your car, and and help you deal with life's pressures. If you've been blessed through verse by verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. You can call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. Or drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Thank you, Pastor Steve. You can also contact us or learn more about Verse by Verse by visiting our website, versebyverseradio.org. We have a number of resources available on the website. That is versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to listen to this message in its entirety, please call us at the number Pastor Steve just mentioned to order a CD or cassette. That number again is 727-441-1714. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.